0: So what's up, everybody? I hope you're doing good. Hope you're having a good last week of spring break. Let me hear it if you're ready for spring break. There it is. Yeah, I know I'm ready for spring break, right? I'm ready to get this one last little uh, sliver of class done. But before we do that, we have to finish our series in The Secret to a Good Life. So I don't know about y'all, but when I think of the good life, I have a lot of different ideas, right? We, maybe we think, oh, the good life is going and being able to do nothing, right? That's a spring break coming up. Maybe we're just gonna chill out and not do anything. Maybe you're the complete opposite. Maybe you wanna go wherever and whenever you wanna go anywhere with who you wanna go. But that's the thing about perception and reality when it comes to the good life. We all have a different idea and our perception usually doesn't line up with our reality. So uh, my parents actually flew in all the way from Texas. So let me give it up for my parents, please. Yeah. And I wanna know if there's any Texas fans in here. Yeah, there's one, that's Trevor. <laughs> all right. How about this? I, I, I know at least one person is gonna cheer for this. How many Dallas Cowboys fans are there than uh... yeah, there we go. So like I said, my parents flew all the way from Texas and I'm uh, extremely grateful for them. And when I think of the good life, my, my idea of the good life is somewhat associated with flying. I've gotten a taste of the good life before, and it happened last summer. So like I said, I'm from Texas, and uh, over the summer I was flying back and forth from Springfield to Texas to see my parents. So I was going from Dallas to Springfield, back to Dallas, and my mom is booking my flights because that's what my mom does. My mom also made a doctor's appointment for me yesterday, so, <laughs> but my mom's booking my flights, right? And she's getting just so mixed up because there's so many flights, so many uh, times she's trying to nail down and she accidentally somehow schedules my flights backwards and I'm flying to Springfield when I should be flying to Dallas and vice versa. And so we're, I'm in Springfield, didn't know what really was going on because that's not, that's not my job. <laughs> And uh, my mom texted me and said, hey, I just realized I messed up scheduling your flights and we're gonna have to find a new flight for you. And this is like the day before I leave. And so I'm like, okay, um, hopefully my mom figures that out. And uh, about an hour later, my mom calls me and she's like, okay, so I found a flight. And I was like, sweet. And she was like, there's some bad news. And I was like, ah, let me hear it. My mom said, unfortunately, there was only one seat left and it was in first class. And I was like, dang it, (laughs) right? No, but in reality, I was like, oh, mom, like, you know, you have to do what you have to do. (laughs) If I have to bump into first class a little bit, I'll I'll rough it for you. Uh, So I am getting to fly first class, and my mom said, don't get used to it. And so I still kind of joke with my mom today and say, you know, I'm kind of accustomed to a certain way of living now. So (laughs) I kind of am a first class type of person. Uh, That's actually the only time I've ever flown first class. But... So I'm ready, right, I am ready to fly and I'm not a flyer at all, I'm not, don't like the process of getting to the airport, don't like the process of going through security, getting my bag checked, getting randomly selected, this, that, having to wear a mask all day. But today, the the day I decided, or not that I decided, my mom kind of decided that I was gonna ride first class, I was skipping through the airport, right? Going through security, like here's my bag, check me if you want, it doesn't matter, I'm going to the first class Oasis, baby. I'm about to have the ride of my life. So I don't know about y'all, but I've seen a lot of TV, and I know what first class is supposed to be like. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get in first class. Uh, someone's going to take my bag from me, slap a hot towel on my face, right, start giving me a little shoulder massage, ask me how my day is. LeBron James probably going to walk through, probably going to nod because, you know, we're both in first class. Forgot that connection. And, you know, at, at the end of it, someone has to be feeding me grapes. And so this is how I expected my first class experience to go. So I'm ready, right? Got my bags, walking into the plane, and I step into first class, and I'm like, oh, I'm ready for this. And I look at my seat, and my seat is a little bit bigger, and that's about it. <laughs> so that is about all I got to experience with first class. And it's funny, because that's how our, our idea of the good life kind of lines up with what we think. Our perception is not really reality. When we try to find the good life and try to support it by things that can't hold the weight of it, like places or people, or things we wanna do, it always crumbles and we're always back where we started seeking for another solution to the good life. So we cannot obtain the good life by ourselves. We have to find the good life in Jesus Christ. And so today, the aspect of having a good life that I wanna talk to you all about is forgiveness. And there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that kind of sums up what it's like to forgive. It says, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. So in other words, it's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier for me to point at Jared and be like, Jared needs to forgive. Or, or my parents be like, my parents need to go to forgive. It's easy for me to point at you and say that you need to go to forgive somebody. But when the finger's pointed at me, it's a lot easier said than done. So who better to learn about forgiveness uh, through than Jesus Christ? So Jesus uh, displayed the perfect act of forgiveness to us by dying on the cross. And so I'm gonna look at that today and we're gonna focus on three questions. When did Jesus forgive? Did Jesus just forgive when it was convenient, when he wanted to? Second question is who did Jesus forgive? Was it limited? Did Jesus forgive the people that he only thought were worthy of his forgiveness? And the last question I'm gonna focus on is how did Jesus forgive? How did he go about, what was his process? What was his actions? So that uh, brings me to my first point. When did Jesus forgive? So I don't know about y'all, but when it comes to forgiveness, I am really guilty of thinking that I can't forgive somebody right now. I need to kind of dwell on it a little bit, get mad about it, overthink, stay up late, think about it, and go through this healing process because it's all too fresh right now, and then I'll start forgiving that person. And at the end of the day, that never really works. There's never a magical time I wake up and I'm like, all right, let's start forgiving. So here's the thing that I want you all to focus on. Healing is not preceding forgiveness. Healing is found in the midst of forgiveness. Healing is is a byproduct of choosing to forgive. So we're gonna be in Luke 23, uh, for the majority, starting at verse uh, 32, for the majority of the time we're together. So while y'all flip there on your phones, or we're gonna have them up on the screen too, uh, we're just gonna, this is Jesus being led to be crucified. Starting at verse 32, it says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Jesus is being crucified, right? They just had the trials. He was just found guilty. He's being carried out to be crucified. And so they give him his cross. He has to carry his, his cross up to this place called Golgotha, which is Aramaic for the skull. And uh, to kind of get a better understanding, because I think going through church, I don't know, I, I grew up in church, so whenever I hear the story of the cross, I kind of water it down a little bit. Like I've heard it so many times. I'm like, yeah, Jesus Jesus did this and did this. But I think we often overlook how much pain and agony Jesus had to go through in order to forgive us. So in Mark 15, uh, chapter or Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 20, there's another account of Jesus being uh, led up to him getting crucified. Just starting at verse uh, 16 in Mark chapter 15, it says, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they had stripped him of the purple cloak, put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So Jesus, we see Jesus uh, before he is carrying his cross, before he's going to be crucified, he is being mocked. He's being abused. He is getting spit on, getting beaten. They give him a purple robe because purple is the, is the color of, mat, of, like, of uh, just like a king would wear the color purple. So they put this robe on him and they're like, oh, you think you're the king? Here's your purple robe, right? You think you're so good? Like, let us, let us salute you, let us, let us bow down to you. and. They then were like, you know, what a, you know what a king needs? A king needs a crown. So they went and got thorns, twisted together a crown, and shoved it on the head of Jesus, and they began to mock him and spit on him. So Jesus was then taken to, carrying his cross, and, it was, and he was hung on the cross in between two criminals. So I wanted us to kind of get the picture of that, because what Jesus did was not easy. It was gruesome, it was bloody, Jesus was beaten. And I want to mention all this pain, all this suffering that Jesus had to go through to just show you how amazing Luke 23, verse 34 is. I'm gonna read it again. And Jesus said, "'Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.'" I want y'all to think about that. Everything I just mentioned, Jesus was getting beaten. he is getting spat on. He had a crown of thorns shoved in his head. He has nails in his wrists, on his feet. He is dying on the cross. In the middle of getting crucified, he looks down at those who are crucifying and he says, Father, forgive them. That's amazing, right? That kind of puts me in my place when I think I can't forgive somebody. So that answers the question, when does Jesus forgive? Constantly. Jesus forgives constantly. It does not matter the time. It does not matter the situation. It doesn't matter what stage of life he is in. Jesus forgives constantly. And most importantly, Jesus forgave in the midst of his hurt. So what does that mean for us? You think that's cool, that's what Jesus does, but what, that, what, does that, what does that mean I should do? So if we go to Matthew 18, verse 23 through 22, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So Matthew chapter 18, Jesus had been walking with his disciples and talking about what to do when a brother sins against you. And good old Peter, if you read through the, the book of the Bible, Peter is just a funny dude. He does great things and also gets rebuked a couple chapter, or a couple verses later. But uh, he comes up to Jesus and he's like, all right, Jesus, I'm on board with that, but how many times should I forgive my brother, right? Like seven times, that's good with me. Seven, eight, no. But Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And so when I was a kid, that kind of confused me, right? 77 times, does that mean I have to sit here and count all the way up to 77, the times I forgive somebody? And that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus means is that we have to constantly forgive people. So just like Jesus, in order to have the good life, we have to constantly be forgiving others. So Jesus forgave all the time and his suffering and we need to do the same. And I know that's, like I said earlier, it's a lot easier said than done. And you might be in this situation where you're like, but Casey, you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't, you don't know how they broke my heart. There is no way I can forgive them right now, if ever. But I want you to think of this. In the last moments of Jesus' life, beaten, bloodied, he is dying. He's being hung on the cross, and he looks down at the people who are murdering him, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In the last moments of Jesus' life, he was forgiving people. So to have a good life, to have to find the secret to a good life. We can't store up this hurt and unforgiveness. We need to constantly forgive people. So while I was preparing this message, I was trying to think of a funny time that I have had to forgive somebody or vice versa. And so uh, one of my favorite stories ever, and I was, I was so glad that he allowed me to tell you t- t- the story. It is about Isaac Slayton. So let's give it up for Isaac. He's done a great job the past few times. Let's give it up for <laughs> Isaac. Isaac is one of my best friends. I've known Isaac since he was 12. I'm, I'm a few years older than him. So me and Isaac have done a lot of things together. Most of my fondest memories, he is somewhere associated in them. And so me and Isaac, when, we, when I was 17, he was about 13, uh, we went to the Bahamas with Rick Schusler, and we got to go around and visit all these places, go door to door and we got to host a VBS for these people. And the thing about the Bahamas is that it's hot right? You can just be standing there and start sweating. So we're hot. We had a long day. And we go back to our hotel, and our hotel actually has a pool right in the middle of the courtyard. So me and Isaac decide to, you know, take, take a little splash, <laughs> have, have some fun. And everybody else who, some people, other people were swimming, but the majority of our church was there kind of around the pool. And before I get into the story, I want you all to get a good picture of Isaac. Because right now, y'all know Isaac as this tall dude, This deep voice, great speaker, cool guy. This is Isaac before he uh, was a tall drink of water, okay? So if somebody, I have a picture. Oh, look at him. He's cute, right? This is Isaac when he is 12 years old. I'm 17 and we went to the Bahamas. This is at Atlantis. Isaac has a bright blue shirt on, fresh braces. I, I can't really argue. I got my braces off like the week before this. He has a bright blue shirt on, and if you could see his his shoes, he had on probably some some J's right? <laughs> and and some uh, Nike Elite socks that were probably bright blue and bright orange. So this is the Isaac Slayton in the story. So picture that we are swimming, right, having a good time. I'm swimming. Uh, Isaac's dad, John's out there, my, my home pastor, and we're just having a good time, and I. We're just laughing. and I ducked my head under the water really quick. And I come up, and I'm like, dude, no way. And he was like, what? And I was like, no way. And he was like, what? What's up? And I was like, if you go underwater, it smells like chlorine. <laughs> Some of y'all are catching on faster than Isaac did. <laughs> and he was like, no way. And I was like, yeah, dude. I was like, go down there, take the biggest sniff of your life. And you're going to smell straight chlorine. And he's getting excited. And he's like, oh, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. And he looks at his dad and he's like, should I do it? And his dad, you could just see it wash over his dad's face. He was like, I mean, if you want to snort water, son, go ahead and do it, right? And so everybody laughed at Isaac, and I could just see the, this embarrassment wash over him. And it was funny, and, but in the moment, I felt really bad. So I pulled Isaac aside, and I was like, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you like that. And here's the thing about forgiveness. Isaac ex- extended his forgiveness to me. when there was other people there who were laughing at him, who were, who were kind of just going along with the joke. Isaac could have said, I will forgive them. I will forgive everybody who laughed, everybody who was there, but I'm not going to forgive Casey. Casey's the one who did it. Casey's the one who's to blame. I'm not going to forgive Casey. So that leads me to the question, who did Jesus forgive? And like, like I said earlier, maybe we think we're good at forgiveness, right? I've, I thought that. I, I have thought, you know, I have no problem forgiving at all. There's just a few people that I have a problem forgiving. They just aren't lining up with what I think forgiveness is. So I know that I am much guiltier than this. Whenever I was preparing this lesson, I learned that I'm not as good at forgiving as I thought I was. I am good at saying it's okay. And I do this because I'm a very non-confrontational person. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to just be cool. I don't wanna rock the boat. And I've used that phrase a lot in my life. It's okay, no big deal. I just don't wanna rock the boat. And here's the thing, we can say it's okay and not truly forgive somebody and not rock the boat. The waters are calm, but beneath the surface, you're bubbling with bitterness. And eventually that bitterness is gonna come up and you have to learn that the only way to deal with that is by true forgiveness. So we're gonna look back at Luke 23, starting at verse 39. So starting at verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other rebuked him, saying, do you, not know, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is hanging on the cross between two criminals. That, that was mentioned earlier. And there's shouts. People are yelling at Jesus, spitting on them. And this One of the criminals were like, you know what? I'm going to get in on this. Like, really, Jesus? You think you're the guy? You think you come to save us? You think you're the son of God? Then save yourself. You're up here getting murdered and you can't even save yourself. Save yourself and save us. So I want to focus on that and us part. The criminal did not care about who Jesus was. He did not care that Jesus was dying. He did not care if Jesus was saying, was being true about who he said he was. This guy just wanted not to die. And I got convicted by that because how often are we this criminal? How often do we say, Jesus, I will, as long as you do something that benefits me, I'm all in. But the second you stop doing stuff for me, I am out. This is a beneficial relationship Jesus and it is very conditional. So the other criminal on the other side of Jesus, here's, this, uh, here's the other criminal talking trash to Jesus, rebuking him, yelling at him, and he stands up for Jesus. He says, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sense of condemnation and we indeed justly for receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, remember me. So this criminal is saying, Jesus, remember me, forgive me despite what I've done. And the only way that we can get to Jesus is through forgiveness. Jesus forgave a criminal who was on the the cross, who in his own words, was receiving the punishment that he deserved. So this answers the question, who did Jesus forgive? Jesus forgave everyone. So uh, in Ephesians chapter two, it says, starting at verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins and when you once walked, following the courses of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So Jesus forgave us when we, was, when we were still sinners. And I think we often overlook that. Jesus forgave us when we were enemies against him. Jesus forgave those who were crucifying him. Jesus forgave us when we chased everything but him, right? And if I might go back to this thing, like, okay, Jesus forgave everybody. But Casey, you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know how bad they hurt me. My heart's broken. I, it still affects me to this day. And there's no way I can forgive this person. They don't deserve my forgiveness. I've caught myself saying that before. And I want y'all to listen to this. Speaking from my point of view, I am a broken person. I'm a sinner who has done some really bad things. And I don't deserve forgiveness, but I still got it. So how dare I have the audacity to say that someone doesn't deserve my forgiveness when I didn't deserve Christ's forgiveness. In order to have a good life, we have to extend forgiveness to everybody. So this leads me into my last point, my last question. How did Jesus forgive? So I know a lot of you have probably heard and used this word. I've used this word a lot, toxic. Toxic has become a very popular word in our generation, right? Something you don't like, something that's not really benefiting you that well, toxic. You know, that, that coworker that just talks a little bit too much, toxic, right? That teacher that has the audacity to assign you homework, toxic, Right? <laughs> The word toxic is starting to become toxic. And toxic is this way of thinking, that, that thing's toxic, I'm cutting it off from my life. There's no need for me to forgive, there's no need for me to even bother with that person. I'm just gonna cut them out of my life, cut that thing and go about my life. And that is a very self-centered way of thinking. And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. There are people in your life you have to take a step back from sometimes. There are people in your life you have to distance yourself from in order to better yourself, to better them, but we can forgive people from afar. So I know that I have kind of gotten in this idea of, well, I'm not gonna forgive somebody because the majority of the blame is on them, right? I might've done a little bit, but they took it way out of proportion. They they are the ones to blame, right? I didn't do anything. And Jared actually spoke about um, forgiveness about a year ago and it stuck with me, and I, I think about it pretty much every day. And Jared said, you can be 99% in the right, but there's still 1% you can apologize and forgive somebody for. Rarely, if ever, are we in the right, fully in the right. We are rarely 99% right. And we can't choose to be selfish when it comes to forgiveness. Forgiveness and selfishness do not have the same address. We're going to go back a couple verses in Luke 23, starting at verse 35. And it says, And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is Christ of God, if he is the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Right? So we see these people all around the cross watching Jesus die. And they know who Jesus says he is, but. They start to yell out to him. They're like, if you're really Jesus, if you really can do everything you say you can do, then come off that cross. You can't even save yourself, so why should we believe that you can save us? Come off that cross if you really are who you say you are. And here's the thing. Jesus had the power to do that. He easily had the power to end his suffering right there. But he didn't do that because it would not fully forgive us. Jesus stayed on the cross so that he could continue to forgive us. Um, I'm reading, or I just read a book for my Theology two class, I go to BBC, and we read a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And this is by Philip Yancey, and I was assigned to read it for my class, and it was a great book, I I encourage you to read it. But uh, Yancey writes in regards to the people yelling at Jesus to come down from the cross. And this is what Yancey writes. You call yourself a messiah, Well, then come down from that cross. How are you gonna save us if you can't even save yourself? I have marveled at and sometimes openly questioned the self-restraint God has shown throughout history, allowing the Genghis Khans and the Hitlers and the Stalins to have their way. But nothing, nothing compares to the self-restraint shown that dark Friday in Jerusalem. With every lash of the whip, every fibrous crunch of fist against flesh, Jesus must have mentally replayed the temptation in the wilderness And in Gethsemane, and legions of angels awaited his command. One word and the ordeal would have ended. So, one word, that's all I would have taken. One word and Jesus' suffering, his pain, all his hurt would have ended and he could have gone and been with God. But Jesus chose to stay on the cross so that he could forgive us. So, back to my question how did Jesus forgive? Well, this is the answer to it Jesus forgave selflessly. Jesus forgave even when it was hard, right? Even when it hurt, he did not care who it was, when it was, or the the repercussions of it. Jesus forgave selflessly. So Jesus did not forgive to benefit himself. And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is, is not just to benefit us. Jesus forgave us selflessly. So in order to have the good life, in order to truly forgive, we need to be like Jesus and forgive selflessly. So you might be sitting here after my message, and you're kind of wondering, like, why, why should I forgive like Jesus, right? I've been forgiving people pretty much my whole life. I, I've done good at it, and I haven't done it Jesus' way, so why should I do it the way Jesus does it? So in Ephesians 4, verse 31 to 32, it says, let all the bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So why should we be forgiving like Jesus does? Because the Bible tells us to. And Jesus is the author of perfect forgiveness. And in verse 31, we see the dangers of not forgiving, right? I talked about it a little bit earlier. It's bitterness, right, malice, uh, wrath, you just continue to store this, these things up in your heart, and, and it just, it weighs you down. And here's something I think we often get the misconception of when it comes to forgiveness. We heard, we've heard the term forgive and forget, but we're, right, we're not hardwired at that. We still remember hurt, and it does not mean that once we forgive somebody, they, their sin is forgiven. It means that we, we lift this debt, we lift this bitterness off of this person and just and ch- and just choose to forgive them daily. And that's another thing I think we don't think about when we think of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a one-time act. We don't forgive somebody and then everything's good. We don't forgive somebody, go to sleep, and we're never gonna think about that hurt again. We're never gonna be bitter towards that person again. Forgiveness is a daily act of choosing to forgive. And if you're not choosing to forgive somebody, If you're not choosing, it's a conscious act to choose forgiveness. If you don't choose forgiveness, you're also choosing something else. You're choosing bitterness. So in Luke 6, verse 27 through 28, it says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. So you wanna learn, you wanna know how to start forgiving like Jesus does. I think this is a great practical first step And the last point I wanna leave y'all with, blessings and bitterness cannot coexist. You cannot sit there and store up bitterness in your heart if you're trying to bless the person who hurt you, if you pray for them, if you want God to use them in amazing ways. This bitterness, this anger that you have against them, this hurt that they did to you is slowly gonna melt away if you choose to bless them, if you choose to pray and forgive this person, if you constantly choose blessings over bitterness, this hurt, this bitterness will slowly melt away. So you want to know where to start. You want to know what you should do tonight. Start praying for those and blessing those who hurt you. And like I said, I know it's a lot easier said than done and it's not going to be easy. I've done it. I've, this week I felt very convicted and I've, I've been trying to do that every night and it's hard, right? We're up there. I'm in my bed and I'm trying to forgive and I'm just, this bitterness is trying to come to the top and I'm trying to just, just shove it down with these blessings. But you know what, throughout the week it got a little easier. And my mind was not stuck on the bitterness of that person. My mind is not stuck on a bitterness of action. Forgiving somebody shifts who we view them as. When we forgive somebody, we no longer view them as what they did, but who they are in Christ. So if you want to start forgiving, start blessing and praying for those who hurt you. In order to have the good life, the secret to the good life is to start forgiving people. So can you go ahead and bow your head?